Hey everybody, you're listening to Living Theology with the Luby Brothers, a podcast dedicated to understanding and living out the gospel. The gospel that brings us to God and transforms us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. We are your hosts, Doug, Greg, and Mark Luby. Well, we finished our series on hard questions about the Christian faith. There's obviously more questions we could have answered and more we could get into, but we figured 10 questions in about eight or nine months was good for now, and so we'll start on something (laughs) else. Um, And next up, we're going to be spending just a little bit of time going through what are some of the significant key passages of Scripture that have been influential in our lives and our faith. And we're going to share with that the passage of Scripture along with just a little bit of the story of when did this passage become significant for us? And Doug, you're going to start us off today with a passage in Philippians 3 um, that I know has been really significant for you and has also been really significant for Greg and I at different times in our lives and now. Uh, but could you introduce that passage and tell us a little bit about how it became such an important passage to you? Yes, today's passage is Philippians 3, 7 to 14, and it's been the most significant passage of scripture in my life. It became significant my junior year of high school as I was reading through it and wrestling with this question, do I really believe that everything is a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus? Or is following Jesus just good because later on it'll be beneficial? And it's been interesting that as I've continue to grow and walk with the Lord, there's been so many big things that I've begun to see throughout scripture and come back to this passage and see it there. So there's a lot that we could talk about in this passage, talking about everything being a loss compared to Christ, having righteousness from him and not from my own works, talking about the significance of the resurrection, how suffering plays into the Christian life because it's part of being united to Christ. We can talk about union with Christ. We can talk about being motivated by God's love for us, that he's already made us his own, the significance of pursuing obedience to the end, the significance that we're going to come back, or that Christ is going to come back and we're going to be with him forever. And all these things are here. But even as I just um, like quote this passage in a second, the things to really be listening for are how is everything lost compared to knowing Christ and how is the gospel of what Christ has done a motivation for us? Because those are the things that we're going to be focusing on. So I'll open us with the passage and then share another story of when this passage stood out to me for the first time. Philippians 3, 7 to 14. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, 
but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straying forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Hmm. So my freshman year of high school, I was in wrestling, and I really hated wrestling. I ended up like quitting after that year, partly because I would get so anxious and overwhelmed sitting at tournaments and just how am I going to do and didn't realize how big of a grip anxiety had in my life as a freshman. Actually, I didn't really see that until I lived overseas. I thought just like circumstances made me anxious, but I was, that was one of the things that showed up from wrestling. But the other part of how I like interpreted life at that point was I saw following Jesus kind of like wrestling because wrestling was difficult and it was hard. My practices were involving like a ton of sweat and so much discipline. I couldn't eat all the things that I wanted to so I could make weight. Um, but I knew it was good to do all this stuff because when it came to a tournament, maybe I could pin the other guy, maybe I could even place in the tournament, do well enough, or when it came to the dual meet, maybe I could beat the other guy. So it felt like following Jesus is kind of like wrestling. It's miserable right now going to practice. There's things that I want to be able to do, but I can't do. But it's worth it because later on, I'll be thankful. And there is some truth in that, yeah. like that our present sufferings aren't worth comparing to the glory that's to be revealed. It's like, oh, we'll be thankful in heaven for obedience to the Lord now. And it's certainly worth it later on. But that's not super motivating to me as a freshman in high school and wrestling with how do I pursue purity and deal with lust when I'm a decade away probably from being married? Decade away is maybe what I thought, and I was actually a lot longer than that. Um, but then I come to this verse of Philippians 3.8, and Paul has a very different picture of the Christian life. It's not here that he's just saying, later on you'll be happy, but right now there is more joy in Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And I remember reading this passage during my junior year of high school and thinking, what would my life look like if I actually believed this? Because I, be I believe this is true. I know it's true that Paul's saying it here, that it's not just later on, but right now, everything's a loss compared to knowing Christ. And if I really believe that, what would that look like? Do I actually experience that? Um... And this began a process of kind of seeing that change in my life to start believing right now it's worth it to follow Christ. It's not just like wrestling practice, which is miserable, but pays off in the end. 
but even today, there's more joy in Christ than anything else. And this is still a key passage for me, because I have to remind myself of this all the time. It's now 13 years later, I'm 30, but I'm still wrestling with today, what does it look like to believe that Jesus is more satisfying than anything else I could pursue? More satisfying than sin, food, Netflix, whatever it is. Do I really believe that Christ is my hope, my joy, my satisfaction, my all in all? So whenever I meet up with guys for one-to-ones, for the very first time that I'm meeting with somebody, this is the passage that I go to, Mm. partly because I want to encourage them in it, and because I need this reminder myself over and over again. So kind of this idea that following Jesus is more satisfying today, not just later on. What has that been like for you guys? Yeah, I've, uh, I think this is one of the passages too that has been really big in my life and in different seasons, I feel like I've seen it in a lot different ways. I remember in high school getting to a point of really just asking the question, do I believe that Christ is more satisfying than anything in the world that it could offer? And kind of saw that through having a lot of things that I thought would make me happy, <laughs> a lot of things that would thought would bring me joy and then just feeling like, man, this just isn't what it promised. I just feel as empty as I ever have. And there's definitely been Mm. times in life where things have just been going (laughs) or things have kind of fallen apart and I've realized how empty they were. But there's also been times, I remember my senior year of college, where things were going really well and not even bad things, inherently bad things. But at that time, I... uh, Running Ralphie. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's fun yeah there i mean there's just a lot of fun cool things going on in life and um and things on the surface are all going really well and i think at that time i was starting to wrestle like man do i really believe this that christ is greater than anything i could give myself to any other joy that's found outside of him because i'm really enjoying life right now (laughs) and Mm -hmm. things are going Mm -hmm. really well and i remember just a couple days of kind of wrestling with God and just praying through that. And at the end of it, feeling like God really answered the prayer and um, saying like, yeah, all this, anything that I could have, anything I could give myself to without Christ, it really just doesn't bring long lasting joy and life and satisfaction um, in any way that Christ can. And so I think that no matter what season you're in, whether it's a high or a low, this, this applies. And, um, Mm -hmm. I think that there really is just such a joy that's found in Christ. And also I think that in order to experience this in a real way in our lives, it has to be a miracle. And you see this as Paul prays for the church at Ephesus, he constantly prays that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened. So they know the hope to which they're called so they had know God better. Mm-hmm. Uh, he prays that the love of God would be poured into their hearts so they'd be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And so I think in order for us to see this in our lives, it has to be really a miracle. It has to be a working of God in our lives. And so something that I have begun praying is that, Lord, whatever it takes for me to see and experience this truth and reality of you being everything, make that happen. <laughs> whether that's taking things away, yeah. whether that's just me seeing it without 
bad things happening, whatever it takes. I just want to know you. Yeah. And, um, yeah, like, like you guys said, this is a daily battle to really find our greatest joy and hope in Christ. And yet really believing that Christ is so much more satisfying than anything else the world could offer is such an important conviction. I guess the last thing I yeah. can have on is that I think that this is something that we really need to be sharing as well. We're uh, just working mm-hmm. on college campuses over the past five years. Something I've realized is that I don't know that I've met a whole lot of people who have even heard kind of the theology of um, this idea of true life being found in Christ and fullness of life and joy being found in Christ and mm-hmm. obedience to Christ being more satisfying than disobedience to Christ. And so I think that this is just such an important thing to give people a frame and a reference for, because if you don't have that really that conviction of true life being found in Christ, then like you guys said, our walk with the God's kind of getting to be a begrudging thing. And uh, I'm going to kind of white knuckle my whole life, just <laughs> doing things I don't want to do because yeah. God doesn't want me to versus like, now God's orchestrated everything in certain ways for our joy and our good and his glory and in obedience yeah. to him true life is found for you guys what was like what were kind of the turning points for you in experiencing that following christ is more satisfying than other things you could ultimately be living for one turning point was just seeing this passage but then just starting to see this idea all across the scriptures. So I'm still like talking about like the knowledge side of it. And there's a difference between just seeing this in scripture and like seeing it true in our lives. But one of the things that was just really helpful is that this idea of joy in Christ is all over the place. Yeah. That this joy in God is not isolated here. So every time that there's some new thing that I'm learning and beginning to see in scripture, I take a different letter of the alphabet and start putting it in my Bible. So for this one, I've got a D for delight. So anything about delight, joy, rejoicing, like being satisfied in the Lord, I just put like little D's all over the scripture. So passage is saying, taste and see that the Lord is good. Delight yourself in the Lord. That Jesus coming and saying, I came that you may have life and have it to the full. I've spoken my words that my joy might be in you and that your joy might be complete. And beginning to see, oh, this is all over the place. And to actually believe God wants me to have joy in him and obedience to him and following him and loving him is good news because of who he is and it's good news because that's what i'm designed for so one big step for me was just seeing it all over the place Mm. and then i don't know if there was a moment that i can look back to and say oh and here's where i actually began to taste this here is where this became real for me as like a massive change I feel like just over time, beginning to feel this more and more, that Jesus truly is my joy and my delight. And the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. 
And now I wish that they grew dim more quickly and that I had a greater taste for the Lord and that I didn't still want to turn back to broken cisterns that can't hold water when Christ is a spring of living water. But I think, Mark, to answer your question, like how I began to see this, for me it was probably beginning to see this is all across the scriptures and then just this slow pattern of seeing this develop in my life. Mm. Do you guys see that as more like a slow progression or specific just big jumps of actually experiencing that? For me, there's probably some of both because yeah, I think like philosophically understanding it is one thing. Um, yeah. Like even the philosophy, the idea of like experience that Christ is the most satisfying thing that sin is always missing out, you know? Um, yeah. Like that for me was probably happened in like leaps and bounds where I was really processing that specific idea, um, that, yeah, there's just been key moments where like the idea that God is more satisfying than sin, like I've really thought over, dwelt over. Um, I wrote a paper when I was in college about uh, John Stuart Mill, who was a utilitarian and um, mm-hmm. who basically said you pr- should pursue pleasure in life and con- compared and contrasted him with Paul and this idea of Paul finding superior satisfaction in Christ. and wrote some about that and like where they would agree and where they would disagree. So there's probably been key times where I thought through the ideas of satisfaction and joy in God. But I would say actually experiencing it, experiencing that God is more satisfying than sin has been probably a much more gradual process and probably somewhat of a series of continual disillusionment as in like dissatisfaction with sin, along with yeah. experiencing just the steadfastness of God. Because um, I can think through a lot of times in my life, specifically um, in my struggle with pornography throughout my life, a lot of my actual freedom from that came when I began to be just so deeply discontent with that and just over and over again experiencing the discontentment I had with sexual sin in contrast with mm-hmm. the goodness of knowing God. And sometimes I think it takes, like, honestly, just just years of wrestling and sin with, like, this complete discontentment and experiencing in that the faithfulness, the goodness of God. Um, and yeah. James Rathman, uh, he has a question. He's a guy, a friend of ours, um, and discipled me. But he had a question that he may have stolen from someone else, but basically the question of, like, what has your sin ever done for you? And then the question along with that, what has God done for you? And I think that question for me is ultimately where I've gotten breakthrough, I think, in just experiencing life in God of when I reflect back on just years of struggle and all sorts of sin, um, as opposed to what has God actually done for me. I think realizing and soberly, honestly confessing God is more satisfying is where I've gotten Mm -hmm. freedom. Um, And one of the statements I've used with my students is 
there's nothing more dangerous to sin um, than the sober contemplation of the goodness of God over sin, which it's kind of a hard statement for high school, but I think I've used that with them in the past. Um, but something along those lines, like there's nothing more dangerous to sin than the sober contemplation of the goodness of God over sin. Because when you just think about it and you're just honest and you realize the way that life actually works, that superior satisfaction is found in knowing and experiencing life with Christ, you realize that mm-hmm. sin is always stupid. Like it's always a worse decision. And yeah. even just tracing that back to the very beginning of the scriptures, you have in the garden, Adam and Eve are tempted by the serpent. And basically the temptation of the serpent you could boil down to in a sense of God is holding out on you. He said, don't eat of this one tree, but he knows if you eat of it, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And that basic idea of if you obey God, you miss out on life. That was what they were first Mm -hmm. distracted and came to believe. And um, I think undoing the lie from the garden and learning that that is a lie that reappears throughout all of human history and throughout all of my life, this God is holding out on you, God is holding out on you, God is holding out on you. And then you go to Philippians 3 and it says, no superior satisfaction is found not apart from God, but in God alone. And everything else you could have, the accolades that Paul once had for himself of the praise of men, in his religious observance and his ability to keep the law, all these things he says, they're just garbage. They're, they're, they're worthless in comparison to Christ. And I think for me, there's been times where I felt, so there's been times where I've philosophically wrapped my mind around that and thought through different ideas and philosophies and passages of scripture. But then I think there's also just been this gradual process of kind of what I'd say is like undoing the lie in the garden and continuing to believe consistent with the truth of God's word that he's not holding out on us. And we know that because he doesn't withhold his own son from us. Yeah. Greg, how about for you of process versus like major jumps? Cause you mentioned that senior year of college mm-hmm. and that was a significant time, but yeah, I mean, I think that it's been, definitely both as well where there's been some big jumps like even in high school I remember one night just laying in bed and feeling so empty after I kind of just lived for so many things outside of God and made my life all about me and feeling like I had everything now it's just I feel nothing and then I think Mm. another time was I sophomore year of college where I had a season just walking away from the Lord living in sin and it was just the worst I've ever felt in my life before. And I think I've heard yeah. this said before, but a Christian living in sin is the saddest person in the world because mm. it's not what we're designed for and it doesn't bring life. And as the spirit of God is being grieved in us, it just causes weight and it doesn't bring happiness. It just mm. causes us to be more and more empty. And I remember like when I was living in a season of sin, just waking up day after day, going to class feeling empty and the only time that you feel any numbness or relief is when you're in the sin and then you just feel empty again and you're just waiting for that versus the joy that we find in Christ being so much more deep and mm. an actual foundation for our life that's sustainable and then yeah senior year but then I think it's also just been continual over and over over the past couple of years and I think right now a big thing is like my reputation and do I believe that lifting up the name of Christ and making my life about his glory is more satisfying than any 
way it could be seen by people or any success that I could have in ministry or in life or anything like that or financial yeah. security. Um, I think it's kind of a daily battle to continue to find my joy in him. But like you guys were saying, so much it is just kind of coming to the end of yourself, coming to the end of yourself when you're living in sin or just even putting your heart on things outside it got on morally neutral things and feeling the emptiness of that mm-hmm. and then seeing this not satisfying and the passage that i think about is romans 6 that talks about when you're slaves to sin you were free in regard to righteousness but what fruit were you getting at that time of the things of which mm-hmm. you're now ashamed the end of those things is death um but now that you've been set free from sin and become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. Is that right? Did I misquote anything? No, that's right. That sounds right. Um, and so, yeah, when you were, so you were slaves of sin and it was bringing nothing, but yeah. um, now the things of which you were once ashamed, you're free of that. And what you have is so much greater in Christ and so much more of a deep joy that's found in him. And, um, so I think that's what I've been experiencing. And I think this kind of leads to one thing that we'd all say. If you guys have more on that stuff, that's great. But this, yeah, we can is, move forward. this is a lot different idea than what uh, than the idea of the prosperity gospel. where, And maybe we don't need to make a distinction on that, but I will just to be safe. Where the uh, prosperity gospel is that if you follow Christ, you're going to be wealthy, you're going to be healthy, everything's going to go well. Kind of yeah. like God's just going to bless your life in terms of what the world would call blessing, yeah. which you are more actually. You're God's more things of the world, not God himself. God just gets you things that are not God that you want in that worldview. Yeah. Um, but what we're talking about is so much different than that because it's saying through the usually it's through the difficult times of life it's through suffering that you're going through that you're facing it's through the deepest possible pain you can imagine that christ becomes more of your precious joy and treasure um, than anything else and yeah. i'd say for all of us it's probably been through really difficult times through suffering totally. through physical pain through ailments through loss through uh, past loved ones passing away things like that that's continuing to refine this joy in christ that's not always a giddy happiness of yeah, yeah everything's great but it's a deep-rooted joy of like man nothing i could ever have is anything compared to christ he's what i want mm-hmm. he's the greatest joy in my heart and um and yeah. so yeah it's not it's not easiness it's not that life always goes well it's not yeah. that in obedience to Christ that it doesn't sometimes feel like a war yeah. to obey Christ, but it's a greater joy. What else do you guys have on that idea? Yeah, I think along those lines, Greg, it's a surpassing worth of knowing Christ, which does not mean like the joy, contentment, peace that maybe I'm expecting, <clears throat> or it doesn't mean I can just kind of like have everything that I want because Jesus gives it to me. And I think one of the ways that that becomes clear is verse 10. And I think the picture of verse 10 is actually far more satisfying, glorious, beautiful than maybe these other pictures that we have of what it would mean to be satisfied by Jesus. But he gives us, yeah, I'll just look at it here, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. Yeah, I want those things. I want to know Christ. The power that rose him from the dead 
is now at work in us. His Holy Spirit is now in us. Like, yes, Mm. I want that power. But then the verse continues, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Wait a minute, Paul. (laughs) Wait, no. That knowing Christ, even a union with him in his death and his resurrection, joining in his sufferings, you want to know that Christ, that Christ who went all the way down to the grave, who was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. That is the Christ that you're wanting to know. And I think that's so helpful to us to see like this fullness of knowing Christ is actually beyond even sometimes our scope of what it would mean to be satisfied in him. Mark, you were talking a little bit about that earlier, but what other thoughts do you have on yeah. that piece of suffering? Totally. Well, I think partially it, it's it's comforting for me because I feel like God is actually working in my life right now, a, a growing contentment. I feel like I'm actually in one of the healthiest spots I've been in my life, um, which I'm really grateful for. But it's not necessarily a, a circumstantial thing. I think just the Lord's been working in my heart just to bring about some greater contentment and knowing him. Um, and he's still continuing to work on that. Um, but I, one of the things I would say is I think the cross being central to the Christian faith is really a comfort for me. And even here, Paul saying that I may know Christ and powers of resurrection and may share in his sufferings. The idea that joy is ultimately going to come through a crucifixion, through a suffering with Christ, and that even there there's an intimacy with Christ there's a worthiness, there's a meaningfulness to suffering. I think it's something that we need because the reality is, as I talk to pretty much everyone, one of the things that helps me actually be content is I realize that no one has figured out life. Like no one's at the spot where they're like, yeah, like I am just completely happy and everything has worked out well. You can talk to (laughs) single people who are discontent and you can talk to married people who are discontent. You can talk to married people with kids who are discontent and married people without kids who are discontent. You can even, you could run the whole gamut of people in every family situation and college situation, high school. I mean, we're this idea of this striving for contentment, but then when we realize that actually in suffering, we can experience an intimacy and joy with Christ. I think it, it gives me, um, and not just the suffering of life circumstances, but just suffering as a whole, I think it actually gives a huge comfort because you realize that um, when Christ said, you know, if anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross daily and follow me, like, he put as the at the center of the Christian life a daily death to yourself. And yet... Mm-hmm. At that, with that daily death is this knowing Christ, is sharing in Christ, and even in his resurrection, and is a joy and contentment in knowing Christ. Um, and one of the ways that religion, and specifically in our culture, Christianity gets a bad rap is because it's so seen as this abstain from these things that actually make you happy. Like you were saying, Doug, the wrestling practice, it's like abstain from the things that actually make you happy. So, you know, like this is what your sex life should look like. This is what your relationship with alcohol in a healthy manner should look like. This is what your relationship with your words should look like. And it can just be seen as this cage of restraints that all these things are managing how you 
live your life. But when you realize that pursuing pleasure, pursuing a higher pleasure, a greater good, actually always comes at the cost and sacrifice of some sort of restraint. I think it gives a meaning and a purpose that, yeah, Christianity does talk about a life that is sacrificial. There's no two ways about that. Um, It's incredibly Mm -hmm. sacrificial. It's going to cost you your life. It's going to cost you everything. It may, it doesn't mean that you won't receive certain blessings, but ultimately the promise is you will share with Christ in his sufferings. But the promise with that is that that is actually better. It's more mm-hmm. satisfying. And so I think just coming around to realize that and to believe that has been pretty significant for me in this season of life and is continuing to be something that's significant of whatever it looks like to follow God, whatever blessings he does or does not give, I think it is ultimately worth it. Yeah. Mark, I appreciate what you are saying about suffering there and even as I've looked at this verse, one of the things that stands out to me is that there is a fellowship with Christ in his sufferings. It's encouraging to me as I go through challenges and difficulties that it's not just like, God, meet me here. Meet me in the midst of my suffering. Would you come and join me? But it's that Christ has already gone through it. And I'm actually not asking him to come be with me, which... I can still pray for that, but it's also like I'm joining in to the suffering that he's gone through, and there's something sweet about that fellowship that we can experience here on this earth that we won't get to experience in eternity. One of the many things that we won't get to do in heaven is share in the sufferings of Christ. That will be done, but it will be eternally sweet too have done that here as this kind of a fascinating thought to me there's a, something of the fellowship of union with christ and suffering that's available to us now that won't be there for heaven yet i often don't want to suffer i look at verse eight and think yes this is true there's more joy in christ than anything in the world but still struggle to believe that and there's things in my life that have changed in that and I've seen growth and some of the issues that I was wrestling with are done or improved but then other areas where I'm still fighting to actually believe that Jesus is more satisfying fighting to live this out and that's where I find even just the hope the encouragement of 312 to 14 or 312 to 16 to be really helpful. And Greg, if you look at that next passage, how is that helpful to us, even when we struggle to really believe, live out that Jesus is more satisfying than anything in the world? Yeah, I think that it's such a good addition to it. So, yeah. Um, so after Paul presents like this incredible picture of just this desire to have everything be a loss compared to knowing Christ and, um, and just having that be what your whole life is about. He, in verse 12 through 16, he says, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus made me his own brothers. I do not consider that I have made it my own, 
but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward towards what lies ahead. I press on to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those who are mature in Christ think this way, and if anyone of you thinks otherwise, God will reveal it to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. And is this kind of crazy addition to this passage where it completely shifts it in some ways because he presents this beautiful picture then he's saying like i'm not totally here you know and he says yeah. you know i'm but i'm straining toward this and towards this goal but what secures me in this is that christ has took hold of me and christ has already obtained my perfection and so he's saying i'm trying to live up to what i've already obtained to what i've already been given i've already been um given christ i've already been secured in christ for eternity um the ultimate victory in my life has been declared through jesus christ and what he's accomplished for us through his life death and resurrection and now we're called to live up to that but that completely changes it because as i'm not there um i know that christ has been there and Christ has done this on my behalf and so as I see the disconnects in my own life and as I feel like man Christ is not everything in my life right now there's so many other things that are vying for my attention they're vying for my affections that I'm putting my hope in uh, what we look to there is not a future version of ourselves who is at this place who has everything figured out who's just on fire but what we trust in is what Christ has done for us and what we rely on is that. And that's the power that gets a, that moves us forward in this whole process of knowing that it's not a future version of us that God loves or that's accepted by God or that has the righteousness of Christ, but it's us now through Jesus Christ. And that gives us the power to move forward, um, not in fear of not being there, but in the hope that um, our victory is secured through Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that reality of I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And there even just the gospel motivation that it, we are not seeking to produce something that God is not first initiating and working in us. That it's not like God's mm-hmm. like, okay, you got you to gotta figure out a way to make it to me, but he has already made us his own and therefore we live and we seek him above all else and we pursue yeah. him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that verse has been huge for me also. That one was significant for me going into college because uh, I remember reading verse 12 like, oh, I can relate to Paul. I haven't been made perfect. Yeah. <laughs> what an encouragement that Paul is saying that like the greatest, maybe the greatest missionary ever. The guy who wrote so much of his scripture said, I haven't fully taken hold of all this yet, but... I'm pressing on. I'm continuing because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And that motivation that because Christ has made me his own, I'm going to move forward even though I'm not perfect in doing this. And this was another um, message, a truth of scripture that I began to see all over. That summer, uh, Jerry Bridges gave a message on 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 15, it talks about the love of Christ controlling us because we are convinced of this. The one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And here Christ has died for us 
so that we too might die with him and rise to newness of life. And now it's his love that constrains and motivates us. And I remember thinking, what would it actually look like for me to be motivated by the love of Christ in my life? Ah, this is a different picture. Because so often it can just be, I want to be a good person. I want to be a better version of myself, like you were saying, Greg. But instead here it's, the love of Christ compels us. Mm -hmm. And it's because remembering, oh, Jesus actually is worth more than all that the world has to offer. And even when I'm failing, he has made me his own. And there's just a great hope in that because I need <laughs> that. If it was just a message, Jesus is more satisfying, so pursue him and make this your own live up to it by your power i feel like i'm in trouble because so often i don't see that and it's now over a decade later and i'm still wrestling to live this out in every area of my life but there's the hope that we can make progress in this because christ has made us his own because jesus has been faithful because Jesus did live in obedience to the Father. He did die for us and rise again. He has accepted us. And from that, from what he's done in the gospel, now we move forward and live it out. Our righteousness wasn't our own to come to God in the first place. And our righteousness is not our own now. It's still through Christ. It's still because he's accepted us. I think just that's such a encouraging, helpful verse for me. Yeah. I think that's good. I think just even talking about the battle of, like you're saying, Doug, it, this battle of contentment, this battle of making Christ our own is, is a battle. And it's something that we don't come to just in a moment. It's more like the rising of the sun than it is, you know, just a explosion of a, nuclear warhead you know it's like it's not just a blast and it's there but i think it's the arising of the sun this continual growing this process the light shining more and more brightly and we're pressing on towards the fullness of knowing and experiencing christ which we will have and um, when we meet him at his return and uh, but it but it is a process it's kind of funny too because i think contentment is one of those things where um you can talk about contentment but contentment doesn't last in the sense of you could have it one day and you're still in the battle the next day to find contentment again. And it's, it's just a continual ongoing process that contentment is a day-by-day -day struggle. You don't just arrive once and for all. Yeah, I think the concluding thought is that I want to believe and live out that Jesus is more satisfying than anything the world has to offer. So to come back to that message that today there is more joy in Christ than anything in the world. He is our all in all. Everything's a loss compared to knowing him. He is the bread of life, the spring of living water. He's our fountain, our hope. And I hope that I will experience that in greater ways that you guys continue to. It's encouraging that we're actually seeing that change in our own lives. And I'm thankful that I believe this more fully now 
than I did at 15, than I did at 20, or than I did at 25. And I'm excited to see this continue to grow in my life, believe and know and be convinced to the core of who I am that Christ is all. Um, But then to also come back to this hope that even though we're not perfect, we haven't made this our own fully, I still fall short of this. Christ loved me and made me his own. And what a great hope, because Christ has made us our own. We now have the freedom to pursue this life in him. So, yeah, let's know his love. Let's seek out the reality that Christ is more satisfying than anything the world has to offer. That's my daily battle still today. Yeah. Amen. Thanks, Doug. Thanks for joining us for this episode. We hope it's of encouragement to you and that you join us next time for another discussion. The music excerpts for this podcast come from the song Enthusiast by Tours, which is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license. More information can be found in the show notes.